0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Guests appear on the Smile Center hotline. Now back to the Gabe Kuhn Show, live from the Service Master by Cornerstone Studios on 92.9 FM ESPN. Christian Fowler, a senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. We have a podcast that comes out every single Tuesday at noon. It's called the On the Bluff Pod. You can find it on Apple, Spotify. Full length video is on YouTube. Christian on X, C Fowler BCM. Christian, what's the word, brother? How are you? Doing good, man. How you doing? I am. Uh, I'm hanging in there. Uh, good win for the Cowboys last night. How about that? There we go. Dak Prescott handling business and and really, quite frankly, outplaying Justin Herbert. I thought it was an off night from Justin Herbert, but ah, uh, CeeDee Lamb stepped up uh stefan gilmore had the game ceiling interception i i was uh i was uh impressed with the win but it's gonna have to continue to continue to roll because i the week before seeing what happened with the 49ers i, I don't know if a lot of cowboys fans are, are in good spirits even with that win last night
2: yeah i mean it was necessary right like it had to happen you couldn't come off of 42 10 loss to San Francisco and then drop one against L.A., going to the byes three and three, with Philly being five and one. So they did exactly what they had to do. It wasn't pretty, but it's one of those games that you have to win. And, I mean, if you're going to be a good team, if you're going to be a playoff-caliber team that can make a run, you got to win ugly
1: sometimes, and
2: and they they did that.
1: Yeah, and, and with Dak, besides that throw to Tony Pollard, that miss he had late in that game for a touchdown, I thought Dak played damn well last night. Like, I thought that was a very good deck game for the most part. I mean, probably the best throw he had of the night was to Michael Gallup where he completely just whiffed. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to bring that up. Me and you both had
2: bad, bad betting beats.
1: Yeah, the first touchdown, next touchdown with Michael Gallup. Figured he was going to come out of his slump. He has struggled, man. Like, he's got he, he still has that contract that Jerry thought was nice to give to him. And he has not been good, and I know that there's like injuries, and he's been trying to battle those his entire career. But he he's gotta he's gotta get right. But again, that ball Dak threw to Michael Gallup that hit directly off of his chest. I think it was into like triple coverage, basically. Put it threaded the needle. It was a dot. That was the best throw of the night, and it was dropped for a touchdown.
2: Yeah, it would have won you 75, and then I had uh I had. C.D. Lamb, 100-plus, and Keenan Allen, 100 plus, And Keenan Allen probably should have had, like, 180 well, yards that game.
1: Well, that, that goes Deals, to the Justin he Herbert thing. Justin Herbert missing Keenan Allen wide open, it would have been, like, a 50-yard touchdown, 60-yard touchdown.
2: Yeah, and he missed him on two deep throws where he was wide open. He missed him on an out route for, like, 17 yards on a third down. Like, it was just brutal. <laughs> it was yeah. brutal.
1: Now, Justin Herbert, like – I opened the show on this because I just find it strange, our conversations about quarterbacks these days. Um, But there was just a lot of conclusions drawn about Justin Herbert as a quarterback last night. And granted, like the defense finally played okay, and he had a rough game. We know his margin for error is is pretty small considering his coach and and that defense in general. But I, man, I I put this tweet out yesterday, and I want to know your thoughts on it. I feel like Patrick Mahomes, in a lot of ways, especially in this modern era, has sort of ruined nuance and ruined how we talk about quarterbacks, elite quarterbacks. Do you feel like that's the case, or do you feel like a guy like Justin Herbert deserves all this, this like people drawing conclusions about who he is? He's not a winner, can't win a big game, yada, yada, yada. He doesn't come up clutch in those big moments. I mean, what do you feel about Justin Herbert and and sort of the, our, our discussions about quarterbacks, NFL quarterbacks in this day and age?
2: I don't think you're wrong in the sense that Patrick Mahomes has kind of, in a way, spoiled people to quarterback play and good, obviously good quarterback play in particular because we've just been so used to, over the last four or five years, him being nearly flawless. Like there are just very few times when he's had a bad game or even games when he's had, you know, maybe not his best performance, but he still went out there and won the game and, you know, brought them on the final drive to win the game or put them in a position to win the game. So I do think that's right in a sense. But also, like to me, Justin Herbert is one of the more polarizing players in the league. Right. And he has been for a couple of years now. I mean, he we know that he has some of the best arm talent of any quarterback. You'd probably say, what, top three in arm talent? It's probably 100%. Mahomes, Allen. Yep. Yeah. And Herbert, I would say Herbert has more arm talent, raw arm talent, than Joe Burrow. Um, so I put Herbert in the top three of arm talent, but it's just – it feels like he is very hot and cold. Like when he's on, he's on, and then he has performances like uh, like he had last night against the Cowboys where he just isn't necessarily as sharp. And like you said, there's nuance to it. There's nuance in sports in general, in general but for the quarterback position – in particular, like it is such a scrutinized position and it's under such a microscope that nowadays in this, in this environment that's been created in the sports world, like it is hard to have off games and for people to like still be in your corner and on your side. Yep. Um, but for Herbert, yeah, I think there are some of those things that are valid. Like he, he has struggled winning games and I know you can point to everything around them. Uh, he's, really hasn't had a a good defense since he's been in the league. He finally has an offensive line. And
1: his defense has been historically bad, by the way. I don't know if you know the stat of his first three seasons. Um, His offense has set the, uh, you know, three-season span record for points uh, since the merger, and then his defense in that same time set the record in a three-season span for points allowed since the merger. So, like, like, there's some give and take to this whole thing, and I – I, I don't know if grace is necessarily given where it should be like that. That's where I'm at on the whole Justin Herbert conversation, just because I feel yeah, like all, go ahead.
2: I I think it's an extreme gray area, right? Because we know the physical talent that he has. And for people saying that he's not necessarily clutch. I, I mean, I think he's had maybe the most or second most game winning drives since he entered the league. So He's shown a capability to have those clutch moments and those big moments, but there's also gonna be a fair amount of scrutiny when you play on like the singular team in the NFL that always finds a way to blow it. Well, yes, the Chargers and, and, always and, find a way to blow it.
1: And like, yes, he has the third. I think he's second, tied for second most uh, game-winning drive since he's been in the league since 2020. Um, but he just has so like there's too many he has so many opportunities in three point, you know, games to go down in a two minute drill and go win the game, and he does come up short a fair amount of times. But like as a quarterback, when you get all those opportunities and you have to play in those pressure pack moments all the time, you're gonna come up short. And like, feels like the chart
2: his margin for error is so thin. It's very thin. Yes.
1: And and coaching coach. as well. And coaching. Coach. And like, yeah. this is the other thing I, I brought up. Like, coaching, for example, like I, people do discount coaching mattering when it comes to uh quarterbacking, right? Like, when, when we look at, for example, Alex Smith with Mike Singletary versus with uh, uh Andy Reid, completely different ball player, right? When we look at Tua when Brian Flores was trying to get him out of there versus Tua now with Mike McDaniel. That mattered. That switch matters. Like, we see it constantly. A Jared Goff, right? He, like, he was the number 1 overall pick with Jeff Fisher. He looked terrible. Sean McVay comes in, and that, that offense takes off. Now, at the end with Sean McVay, it started to get nasty because he was hurt and he stayed off the field. He got replaced by John Wolford. But we now see with Ben Johnson, with the Lions, he's back going. Like, coaching matters so much. Your head coach matters so much for a quarterback and Justin Herbert's let's be honest he's had Anthony Lynn who's been fired and uh he's he's got Brandon Staley who I would argue is a bottom four coach in the NFL. Now all these things sound like excuses but it's the truth of the matter when we look historically coaching matters when it comes to quarterback play. Yeah,
2: absolutely and he has clearly gotten the short end of the stick on it because I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't believe in Brandon Staley. I, I, I'm sure, like, if I was a Chargers fan, I would I would have hoped that the Chargers would have lost that Vikings game uh, a few weeks ago because I genuinely, and we talked about this, I genuinely feel like he would have been fired right. if they would have lost to the Vikings in that fashion going forward on fourth and one deep in their own territory with, like, two minutes left in that game. So I, I don't think he's the answer. Um, I, I, I think we still don't have an answer on what, this offense is going to look like under Kellen Moore uh obviously only being what five games in they had a bye so this was their fifth game so being five games in to a new offensive regime only having Austin Eckler for two of those five games no Mike Williams since week three Quentin Johnson still figuring it out like I, I think it's going to take some time for us to really see what this offense is uh under Kellen Moore and I I think by the end of this season, even with Brandon Staley possibly still being the coach, depending on what happens throughout the year, I think we'll have a better read on Justin Herbert. And and I know that may sound weird because I'm saying that with the caveat of Brandon Staley still being the head coach. But I I think we finally get to see him under a play caller that has led prolific offenses and see what that looks like. No, it doesn't change the defensive woes that they have and some of the other issues that they have, you know, with Brandon Staley and just maybe his over-aggressiveness or just,
0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Lack of, lack of situational awareness, but I think we'll have a better sense on Justin Herbert at the end of this year. Like I think the second half of this year is really going to give him a lot of time to mature and grow in the system and, and maybe compensate for some of the things that people have against them.
1: Yeah, and and speaking of that Vikings game, we, we spoke on Justin Herbert and his, uh, his margin for error being thin. He went 40 for 47, 405 yards, three TDs in that game, only one by four, and the Vikings could have very easily gone and won that game because of Brandon Staley's decision, right? Like, he went yeah. 40 for 47, 405 yards, three TDs in an NFL game and probably should have lost when it was all said and done because they couldn't run the ball 15 rushes for 30 yards. Like, they. There's just so many different things that sound like excuses for Justin Herbert, but they're valid. They're absolutely valid. And it's just, it's, it's quite interesting to me. Um, now, one more thing on the NFL before we transition to Tigers football, a little bit of basketball as well. Um, did you ever think that this Sunday would bring us two undefeateds that ended up taking their first loss to teams run by P.J. Walker? Uh, obviously, the 49ers lost to the Browns and P.J. Walker and then the eagles lost to the jets and Zach wilson. Did you ever think that that was going to be the conversation coming out of this weekend?
2: If I would have thought if I would have thought that going into the week I would have been a rich man by sunday night. Oh god, yes. No <laughs> I'll question. I'll tell you that. Um no, that those were both pretty shocking and I'll say the 49ers loss to the browns was was much more shocking to me just because the fact that they scored any points is is pretty absurd with PJ Walker. Playing quarterback with no Nick Chubb, Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, Amari Cooper. I mean, we know they have some decent players, but they don't necessarily have anyone that's going to scare defenses. And P.J. Walker has shown that he's kind of just a journeyman quarterback and uh, maybe a decent backup. Uh, Played a good bit with the Panthers last year. But he threw two picks in this game. I don't think he cleared 200 passing yards, and they still won. Yes. against what what was clearly head and shoulders the best team in the league and i know the 49ers lost trent williams and debo samuel and christian mccaffrey <laughs> in the game but even without those three players who are pro bowl level level players and mccaffrey is the best running back in the league and trent williams is one of the best left tackles in nfl history san francisco is still a better team overall yes than the cleveland browns with pj walker yes, quarterback and they sure. just the 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 Browns defense has been historically good this year, and they finally made Brock Purdy look like he was the last pick in the NFL draft. Now I'm not saying that he's not going to turn it around. I think Brock Purdy has proven himself enough that you know he kind of gets some gets some grace for one bad game against a really good defense. But they they finally made him look rattled, uncomfortable. He threw for 122 yards in the game. Didn't clear 100 yards until the the last drive where they were trying to go down. And win the game. And he ultimately even got them in the field goal position. And Jake Moody, uh, the rookie kicker at Michigan, missed a a relatively easy uh, uh, field goal for the win, especially in NFL terms. But overall, no one expected the Browns to beat the 49ers. And then Philly's been winning ugly all year. They haven't looked like themselves. They haven't looked like the team. That pretty much just throttled everybody that they played last year. And it finally caught up to them. You know, they were they were winning these games that weren't necessarily pretty. They were just finding a way to do it. And um, with Jalen Hurts throwing three interceptions and the Eagles having four turnovers, the Jets were able to capitalize just enough to get a win uh, with a pretty much just putrid offense. I mean, they couldn't move the ball very much. It was just getting the ball in good field position and be- being able to kick field goals for Greg Zerline was pretty much how they won the game.
1: Hmm. Um. Now, I am – I think it's worthy of discussion here real quick. Browns, on the Browns front beating the 49ers, Jim Schwartz is a dog, man. He's got that defense yeah. playing like – I mean, they're out of this. They're the best defense in the league right now through through six weeks. They've been unbelievable, man. I, I, like I, We've been waiting for that Browns defense to really wake up. They've had a lot of draft picks. I mean, you still have Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett and all these guys up front. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu is one of those draft picks. Like, we've been waiting for them to really show up, and Jim Schwartz is getting all he can, getting everything that that you've expected from the Browns for a long time. He's getting everything out of them.
2: Yeah, Jim Schwartz has always been a really, really aggressive coach. And when he was a head coach, he was a really aggressive head coach and a very aggressive defensive coordinator, and he has the perfect unit in Cleveland to play his style of aggressive football with Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Tomlinson and – uh, J.O.K., okay, like you mentioned, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsome, Grant Delpit, Martin Emerson, like they just That's a lot some, of
1: guys. That's a lot of guys. you <laughs> Yeah, that's
2: yeah, a lot yeah. of really good players. They have an absolutely great personnel at all three levels, and uh, I think he gets the best out of them. He allows Miles Garrett to be free. Miles Garrett finally has someone on the other side of him that can take some of the pressure off of him, and it just is working seamlessly right now. They've barely allowed over 1,000 yards. In five games. I think they've had their bye week as well already. So I think they only played five games. So they're averaging – they're allowing like 201 yards per game on defense, which in the modern-day NFL is literally unheard of. It's the least amount of yards allowed since 1950.
1: Yeah, it's insane. Now talking with Christian Fowler at C. Fowler BCM on X Tigers. Drop a game to Tulane this past weekend – well, on Friday, I should say – um, thirty one twenty one to Tulane, they had a twenty one to ten lead. And it's just it's frustrating for a lot of fans and I understand that. I mean, the amount of blown leads in big games that we've seen over the past two and a half years, it just continues to be a problem for this football program. Um, I see where people are frustrated. I still think that there's an opportunity for them to seize the rest of the season, but it's going to start with these next two games. I think probably outside of SMU, their toughest games of the year at UAB at North Texas. But if you want to be taken seriously, you have to go two and zero in this stretch. Um, but what, but what did you think ultimately of that Tulane game um, felt like there was a lot more energy in that stadium, at least until Tulane made that, uh, made that comeback and 21 answered point, 21 unanswered points. Um, but what did you think about that game ultimately?
2: Yeah, it was Memphis's biggest game of the year, and they played good offensively for only three drives out of the game, and th- and that's the story of it. They went down 10-0, um, which I know a lot of us felt that they couldn't go down like they did against Boise State and win this game, but they still rallied. They scored three straight touchdowns. They looked like – it kind of looked like, man, Memphis might roll over Tulane, like the offense was – Absolutely perfect for those three drives. Seth Hennigan looked incredible. But then we ran into the same issues. It was the same issues that have plagued Memphis all year, and they popped up in the worst possible time. I know Seth threw a pick early in the game. He bounced back from it, led the three scoring drives, and then the offense was absolutely stuck in the mud. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't convert. They couldn't shorten the chains. They couldn't stay ahead of the chains. Um, and then you get the the death nail turnover uh by Seth and another interception that that really just kind of sucked all the momentum out of the game and it just it just it just had a feeling like okay that was it.
1: Yeah. There's, no, there's
2: no there's no bouncing back from that. There's no rebounding from it. It was kind of the end. And it's unfortunate because Memphis was in a position to win this game. Uh they would probably not I don't even want to say probably they would 100% be ranked in the top 25 right now with their only loss being to what was Missouri ranked this week, I think 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, so their only only loss would be to a ranked top 25 team in the SEC. And instead they allow a twenty-one-zero run, can't do anything offensively, can't get a stop on defense. And here we are saying that, well, if Memphis wants to – Wants to seize any kind of opportunity and turn the season around. They can't lose anymore, <laughs> and uh, right. I, I don't. I don't think many people feel confident that they can go the rest of the season without losing, especially with four road games left on the schedule, albeit against inferior teams. But still, it just. It, I understand why it's disappointing from the fans because it was so close, but so far away from Memphis being a top twenty-five team with everything in front of them. Now, Seth, Bowl, conference championship, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Now Seth Hennigan, seven picks through six games. You hear a lot, like there's there's excuses out there, right? Um, I think there's some people that are trying to call for Tevin Carter. I don't know if I'm I, I can't I can't really get behind that. I think Seth's the best they have in that quarterback room at this current state. Tevin Carter, if he stays on campus, I think could be the the future, but we'll we'll deal with that when we deal with that. Um, with Seth Hennigan, you hear some excuses, though, out there. Tim Cramsey, maybe he has not schemed it up right for him. You know, the run game's not good enough. I think we can put to bed that he doesn't have uh, good enough weapons because Rock Taylor and Demir Blankhamsey have absolutely positively stepped up when their number has been called at least the last two games. Um, do any of those excuses hold any validity to you when it comes to Seth Hennigan and his turnover issue?
2: No, because, I mean, scheme can be bad if you deem it so. Play calling can be bad if you deem it so. But I've seen bad play calling not end in turnovers, if that (laughs) makes sense. I I mean, I've seen play callers at the collegiate level in the NFL that people don't necessarily say they're the best play callers or have the best scheme and their quarterbacks aren't turning the ball over because – that falls more on ball placement and reads and it brings up an interesting topic that we, I think we talked about this maybe two or three weeks ago and you uh, actually brought this up was that you felt like Seth was kind of just reading it a little bit slow. Like he just wasn't super quick with his progressions. And that also leads to turnovers and mistakes, especially when teams are sitting back and playing zone coverage, you're allowing those linebackers to roam and to get into those areas and to make those plays. And then, we talked about the Rock Taylor, the interception when he was uh, targeting Rock Taylor in the second half of that game. That was just ball placement. Yep. The Ball was behind him, um, so you can you can bring up these points, I guess, but I don't think they hold any validity to what these turnovers are. And I, and you know I, I'm not trying to bury Seth or anything. Like Seth has been, what what he's been like, he's been fine. He's been good enough for this team to win the majority of their games. But he hasn't been good enough, or I don't even want to say good enough. I, I, I think he hasn't taken enough care of the ball in the two big games that they've played for them to be undefeated at this point in the season. He has played well for the majority of snaps. No one should be able to argue that. He's been relatively solid for the majority of snaps. But the turnovers absolutely overshadow all that. Because when you look at a box score or when you're watching a game – and it's a one-score game or it's a tight game throughout, and you turn the ball over two times, you have two interceptions in that game, you can, you can probably pinpoint where those, where those points are being lost at. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's the quarterback position. They carry the most weight and the most pressure for a reason. And to lead one of the better teams in the country, you have to play mistake-free football, and he just hasn't been able to do that, particularly in their two big games against Missouri and Tulane.
1: Now, what saves this season? Like, what, what gets, what, what really excites the fan base the rest of the way? I know you say you're skeptical about them winning out. I think I am too. I think most of the fan base is. Is that it? Winning out yeah, AAC yeah. championship appearance? Is that, is that the only thing?
2: Yeah. To me, that's it. Um, because you don't have any exciting games left on the schedule. Maybe, maybe some people will get excited for SMU, but, no one's getting excited for UAB and North Texas and Charlotte and Temple. Like, no one's getting up for these games. Like, these aren't going to make I would say, in all mind. fairness,
1: 8-2 at home against SMU ought to be a pretty damn big game. It should be. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, it, like I said, it, it should be, but it'd be way bigger if they would have beat Tulane on Friday night. 100%. You know what I mean? like, no doubt. It, it makes everything go downhill. So, to me... If they're going to get maximum fan engagement, it's going to have to be win out and make it to the conference championship game. And that's just a very difficult feat when your back's against the wall and you have zero margin for error.
1: Yeah. And, and if they're going to do that, offense is going to have to have some have some better run performances and Seth's going to have to take care of the ball. So we'll we'll see what happens the rest of the season. Now on Memphis basketball front, um, AP poll comes out. They're not a part of it. They only have seven votes. I think they'd be 32 if you want to do the whole others receiving votes situation um are you I think I'm a little surprised I think if DeAndre Williams was part of the fold right this second um they would be ranked in the top 25 but even without him like the talent on this team is apparent the experience on this team is apparent I'm still maybe a little bit different than a lot of folks I am surprised that they didn't even get like a 24 25 at least some type of nod into the AP poll
2: yeah I truly expected them to be somewhere between 20 and 25 with this current roster. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised by it, but also with you on the front that if DeAndre Williams is in the fold, then they should have probably landed somewhere between 12 and 18, yeah, somewhere, somewhere like that. Um, so it's a little bit surprising, but we know this, it doesn't matter. That, it doesn't it mean anything. Doesn't it doesn't make change any anything. Damn. Yeah. it. I know it's the off season and people want to have things to talk about and they should, I mean, that's what you do in the off season of your favorite sport, but It doesn't mean anything. And with Memphis' schedule, they can easily get into that top 25 before the first month of the season is
1: over. Yeah. And then, like, I think the biggest thing for me is, like, just looking at FAU in the top 10. I'm not going to blame anyone for putting uh, FAU, Florida Atlantic, in the top 10, but, like, seeing the difference in ranking of Florida Atlantic and Memphis after watching a game with probably a less talented team, Memphis team. And it came down to the wire. Memphis arguably should have won that game. You get a timeout called. You don't turn the ball over. You take better care of the ball. You win that game. You are potentially the the team that makes that run. The difference in ranking from those two teams, in particular, just kind of it rubs me the wrong way. puts it just it 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 leaves me asking a whole bunch of questions on the rationale behind the voting that took place.
2: Well, I don't disagree. Uh, I think a lot of it's probably just respect for what FAU did last year. Of course. Which- I get that. I understand that, but I'm also with you in the fact that there's not a a big gap between FAU and Memphis. I think they're very close. I think you can make an argument that on paper, Memphis is a better team, a deeper team with more overall talent. Now you give the nod on chemistry to FAU because of the guys that they're bringing back and the star players that they have, but just on paper, I would make the argument that Memphis has the better and deeper overall team. So to see that big of a gap between them is a little bit surprising because I do I think they're very very close together
1: and i I do that we've talked about this. I think the view of Memphis and this is the last thing here I think the view of Memphis has to do with continuity and almost continuity in itself, right You have right. two guys that are carryovers from the team last year FAU has basically a full returning roster with a with a coach returning like i I get where continuity can be taken to, into account, but in this day and age of college basketball, the amount of transfers we see, the turnover in every single roster, I just think going forward, continuity may may need to be you know less taken into account, taken into less account going forward, just considering what we what we see year to year in roster turnover for every single college basketball program, not just Memphis
2: yeah i think I think what it shows us is like people believe that Memphis is going to be good but they want to see it first.
1: Of course. A, it's sort of an every-year thing. Because I, Jeff brought this up on the show yesterday. Even with what has happened the last two years getting to the NCAA tournament and last year with not a whole bunch of expectation ending the season as a top 25 team in the AP poll, I think there's still that view of, oh, this team's going to over-promise and underdeliver. deliver This team has all these expectations. Penny has set, and they're going to fall short of said the, the set expectations. I think there's still that view, but I think when we look at it inside and the growth we've seen the past couple of years from Penny and this this basketball program, I don't know if that's the truth anymore. But I guess this season will sort of tell us, you know, it'll tell us a whole lot about if our if our view on that is correct. Yeah,
2: I'm with you on that, but I think it's the I think it's the opposite for for this team this season. I think the expectations are lower than they should be. From a national perspective, I think they're going to over deliver on right. what people are expecting from them because I mean I just truly but I
1: think, look at the but But don't you open. agree? Last year was very similar in that regard. I don't think the yeah. expectations yeah. were near were 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 high at all, and they still twenty six and nine into the tournament.
2: Yeah, what were they? What were they in the preseason rankings last year? Weren't they in the fifties
1: somewhere? Yeah, they like were. That? They were far I, down. They were. They yeah. were way down there. So I, I do
2: yes, and I'm I'm talking more pre. 2022 back when you know it was every year memphis was going to be a top 25 team and it was always the opposite and we've seen that shift and i think that's kind of what you're what you're hitting at over the last two years or it's especially last year two years ago it was we know it was kind of the tale of two seasons that yeah. they they flipped it around towards the end but Penny is showing that he's being able to come out of the gate a little bit better and i know last year wasn't necessarily perfect in that perfect in that regard but i just feel like with the overall talent and veteran experience that this team has, I just, I can't see a way barring injuries that this team isn't more successful than where they're currently being pinned at Mm -hmm. Uh, with, without, with or without DeAndre Williams. I think they're just a really good, well-made up basketball team that complements each other pretty much at, at every position.
1: Well, he's Christian Fowler Christian appreciate it. Make sure you catch our podcast. It's out today. Came out at noon on the bluff pod. You can get it. Apple Spotify, full length video version on YouTube. But Christian, appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. See you next week. Yes, sir. You can find him on XC Fowler BCM, senior writer and content creator for Bluff City Media. Does some writing over there. Uh, does the uh, players the players club with Memphis Football every single Wednesday. Check out all of that work. Again, follow him on XC Fowler BCM and get to bluffcitymedia.co. Now it's time to transition into the blitz and uh, Dabo Sweeney has uh has spoken again to the press and he gave a quote yesterday that is quite concerning to me um and we'll talk about it on the other side right here on the Gabe Kuncho 929 FM ESPN